Well, like Clay said, uh, we're, we're so glad to be back home and to be with you. And uh, you know, we've been gone to Uganda and, uh, and on the border of South Sudan for the last couple of weeks. And uh, it's just been an incredible, incredible trip. And uh, I'm going to have Brian and Clay come up and maybe uh, share a little bit of what their, their experiences uh, were, were like. I think uh, this is Brian's second time for, uh, uh, on this trip, and it was Clay's first time to, uh, you know, to Africa. But before they say and share anything, I, I want to first of all say just how much I appreciate your, your love, your prayers, your, your generosity. Uh, there's no doubt that you truly have a heart for missions. You have a heart for people that are in uh, uh, dire need and suffering. Um, you know, we, we, last week or the week before last, I'm still trying to, when you come back from a trip like that, the first thing that happens is your body arrives, and then two weeks later, your brain shows up, and then three weeks later, your digestive system, we won't get into that, but, uh, your digestive system starts to work, but, uh, anyways, you know, we, we presented to you guys, uh, 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 what our budget was going to be to, to take care of the, the, the entire trip, and it was $3,200, $3,220 is what the total budget was, and you know, this wasn't anything that we'd been announcing, this was just something that was uh, mentioned to you one time on a Sunday morning, and I want to show you just how awesome God is, and just how God used uh, each one of you to, to give toward that. When we received the offering, uh, the, the offering was around $2,900, okay, and, uh, and I was like, Wow, praise God. You know, that's that. I, I didn't know that that was going to, you know, going to happen. But uh, I got a phone call th- that night uh, by, by an individual and, and said that uh, there'd been uh, a bonus that they had received on, uh, uh, on their jo- in their job. And, and uh, we wanted to know if there was a, a, you know, a, a need for that in, in the missions. And I said, well... Um, this is what we have. You know, we had $2,900 budget was $3,200. The check was for $360, which went, you know, went, uh, from $2,900 to meeting the $3,220 budget, uh, for the entire trip. So, I mean, you guys, you know, God's amazing. You know, it really is. And and so your, your, your acts of obedience matter and make a difference in people's lives. So again, thank you a thousand times. Thank you. But uh, would you guys just take a minute or two and just share what, uh, what the trip was like for you? Amen. This lady Donald said it's good to be back. Um, we missed everybody last week, um, but had an awesome time over there. Um, I think some of the things that kind of stood out for me while we was over there was just um, like when we went to the refugee camps up there, um, there in uh, Arua, and um, just getting to meet um, the bishop, John, uh, John Noah, listening to his stories and him tell us about the area and the people there, and then just getting out and knowing what these people have been through, you know, the devastation and the death and just, uh, just having their homes took from them and all that, and us being there and uh, just the joy that they had, you know, just us being there and just the joy for the Lord that they had, you know, um, Remember me and Clay, we, we prayed for one lady there, and um, I'm not sure if she lost her arm in this war or whatever, but, you know, she was missing one arm on one side and all of her fingers on her hand on the other one, you know, and she just came up, and she was just wanting us to pray for her, and you could just see the joy of the Lord that was on her, 
You know, and I was just like, man, after all these people have been through and all that stuff, yet their their hearts and everything still belong to God, and they're still rejoicing and still just glad just to be alive. And just to get a minister to those people and just try to encourage them was just awesome. You know, and um, just learning so much, you know, just from them, you know, because, you know, I think we take so much for granted, you know. And, I mean, like I said, it was one time me and Clay, we went and prayed uh, for this lady, you know, inside of her, her little house there, you know, and we had a, we had a bend way up underneath, you know, I don't know if people have seen the, fit, uh, the photos we put on Facebook, but, you know, we went in her house and we began to pray for this lady and, um, you know, she just had one little bed and just a little small area there and, and I asked her, I said, how many people live in this hut here? And she said, there's six of us, you know, sharing one bed in one little area, but yet they were still just you know, so excited about serving the Lord, and I, I come out, and I was just thinking, I was like, God Almighty, I was like, I'm trying to find a house right now, because I think mine's too small for me and my kids, you know, and Sean, and I was like, here, this lady's got this small little thing, you know, so just seeing some of that stuff brought a lot of, I guess, uh, perspective, I guess, kind of to me, you know, kind of make me think a little bit, you know, and uh, all that, so, uh, plus it was good, you know, being rebuked by Donald all week, you know, um, I think he can only handle me in small portions, you know, so that was kind of fun. You know, every time I turned around, Donald just shook his head. There was many times he told me, just go ahead and get heaven out of your mind, Brian, you ain't going. So, but it was, it was a fun time, and uh, I'm just glad to be back, all right? Amen. Richard, can you find that picture where we went into, uh, we went into the little, yeah, that little hut there. Yeah, so we went in there. You know, I, somebody had said, I don't know if it's true or not, but somebody said the reason they make the doors uh, so, so short was because when you've been in warfare your entire life, that whenever the enemy would come in, you want him to come in, bend over so you can hit him in the head before he makes it in on you. I mean, that, that may be funny, but it's, it's, it's just the way of life down there. When, you get, when people are dying all the time, it's a difficult, difficult situation. So we went in, we went in and actually got to pray. This is the, the woman, I think. You see the picture where we're actually in there, Rich? Yeah, when we got to pray for her in there, and her and her family, I think like six people lived in this. It was as, it was much smaller than half of your bedroom, I'm sure. Uh, but the, but they live in there, you know. They have no they have no. Uh, but but just like uh, just like Brian was was talking about, I think I think the thing that really gets you anytime you go on a mission trip. Like I said, I've never been to Africa. I've been to India, but when you go, it's such a purifying experience because you realize the things that you hold dear and you think matter. And then all of a sudden you go over there and they have none of the things that you think actually matter. And, and what's so interesting is they're going, through, they're going through things that most people I feel like in America would, would, would question God. They would be angry at God. They would wonder, why is this happening to me, God? But every single one, that's just our mentality. We assume that they're in utter torment. And don't get me wrong, they're going through difficult times, but they will say to you and respond and say, you know what, we have Jesus. And that's what we need. That's what matters. And they have joy, and they will worship God, man. You don't have, they have no instruments. They're just in there singing, but they'll dance and worship God and praise God. And it's such a wonderful experience to, to, to be a part of that. But here's what I will say, and, and then I'll get out of the way really quickly. But, but you know, I, I'd never went to Africa, and we hear Donald talking about the importance of missions a lot. We hear him talking about how there's churches being planted over there. And, and you hear that when you've not been, and it's just sort of kind of one thing. It got, for me, it did. It went in one ear and out the other, and I kind of said, well, that's good. You know, we're planting churches over there. But we actually got a chance to visit. I don't know how many we ended up visiting, maybe, maybe eight churches or something like that. 
because there's a lot. We didn't get to visit them all, but we got to visit several churches that were new church plants. They've been planted like one or two years, and so the majority of people there are new converts. They've just come to Christ, and we got, we got to speak to them and minister to a lot of their leaders and see what's going on in these churches, but what they're doing over there is, I mean, it's an amazing work. What Henry is doing is, is, is awesome. And there are all over Uganda, people are being saved because of these churches that are being planted. So when you give to that, you are a part of something that is, that is doing some great work for the kingdom of God. So again, we, just, we want to thank you for, for supporting us, for praying for us while we're over there. And I would just urge you to continue to pray for Uganda and that ministry and, and the people that are in South Sudan and the refugees that are there. But uh, we, we thank you all so much for, for praying for us. Amen. Just keep that one. And, and I'm, I'll tell you, God, God really used Brian and Clay in just an incredible way while, while they were there. There's, there's something that um, the people bring out of you because of the way that they receive you. They, they understand only God could send somebody from a place where you have everything, you know, I mean everything, and, and bring them to a place where they have absolutely nothing just for the purpose of, of, of encouraging them and, and loving on them and caring for them. And, and you know, what, what you recognize determines what you receive. And, and what I mean by that is, is, you know, you can miss out on a miracle. You can miss out on something very, very special that God wants to bring into your life simply because you don't recognize that, that God is sending somebody to you for a specific purpose. And I'll add this as well. Brian and Clay are dancing fools. I mean, they are dancing. I mean, I was killed during the trip. I was exhausted. Because, I mean, we traveled. It was a 10-hour trip. Once we got there, it was 10 hours to where we went. Now, when we're talking about the uttermost parts of the earth, we went there two or three times. And, you know, it really is extremely, extremely remote areas. And um, the majority of our time we spent in these uh, Sudanese refugee camps. But, uh, you know, while we were there, you know, again, like they said, they, they talked about just how much joy these folks have. But uh, just to give you a little bit of perspective, there's 1.5 million Sudanese refugees in these, in these uh, refugee camps. Now, we visited two of these refugee camps, and there was a total of about 300, and I think either 65 or 85,000 uh, people that are just in these two camps. And uh, again, they are in extreme dire need. They are, they are in extreme desperation. And there's, there's like 1.5 million. There's still a, a few million that are left in the country and uh, there's been a war that's been going on there for uh, two or three years now. And uh, uh, John Noah, who is this, uh, the bishop in, in this particular area, he spent his whole entire life ministering in South Sudan. So he's been a part of every single war from 1955 all the way to what's going on now. He said, this is the most deadly war that has ever been experienced in South Sudan. And the UN just released a statement. I mentioned this the last time that that uh, that uh, the food crisis in uh, in South Sudan is the worst in the world. And uh, they just released another statement that said, if something isn't done about the war in South Sudan in the next three months, that people will begin to literally starve to death. Because no humanitarian aid can get in these areas. I mean, it is so deadly. It's so, uh, so uh, 
uh, hostile at this moment. Nobody can go in and do anything uh, without there being a big, huge risk of them losing their life. So um, I want to encourage all of you to pray for them. You know, pray that, that there would just be peace in this country. I mean, these people, I mean, we got to minister to them. I mean, they've had their arms shot off. They've had their hands cut off. You know, they've lost husbands, they've lost wives, they've lost children, they have no running water, you know, they, they, they live off of uh, uh, United Nations uh, food rations, they get one meal a day, period, uh, and, and that's at best, and again, there's still issues that's there. No other, that we know of, and this is not a dig on anybody whatsoever, but as far as we know, there's no other Christian organizations that are working in these Sudanese refugee camps. None. No Christians. But you know what? You are. You are part, and, and we've got video of this, and I've not got a chance to edit it yet, but there's, we got a, we've got video of a, of a pastor who is talking, and uh, uh, another congr- lady that's a part of the congregation that's there, and, uh, and one more, and they said, uh, please tell your church that we are so thankful for their prayers, for their kindness, for, for their giving, for sending you to come and visit with us, because you being here lets us know that we are not a forgotten people. Can you imagine? We, we know that we are loved. We know that we're not alone. And, it's, and it's, it's such a privilege to be able to be a part of that. I'm so honored. I cannot express to you the love I have for these people and the love that they have for you. It's, 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 it's overwhelming. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. But God is at work. Uh, I, you know, I don't want you to just uh, feel sorry for them and, and be sympathetic toward them, although it is very, very emotional, very moving. But I want you to know that, that, that you're doing something about it. The majority of these people in these camps, and I'm going to be quiet after this, the majority of the people in these camps are unreached people who have never heard the name of Jesus before in their life. And uh, we've been able to plant 32 churches in these refugee camps, okay? And there are a 1,000 new believers in these 32 churches that, that I believe God is going to use to continue to multiply and reach. It, God has used this war and he's used this tragedy for the purpose of bringing these people together and reaching them with the gospel. Because we've tried to penetrate up in that area. The last trip that I was on, I think Brian was there as well. We went up into South Sudan. There is no infrastructure there. There, there is no road system there. It's very rough. It's very rugged. It's very, very, very difficult just to travel while you're there. But God has brought a million and a half of these people in these places, we showed the Jesus film the last time we were there uh, in, in one of the churches. 500 people gave their life to Jesus just by watching the Jesus film. So right now is most definitely uh, harvest time for these 
uh, uh, for these folks in the midst of tragedy. God's showing up. They've lost everything. They're searching for hope. And how many even of us know? You, you know that Jesus is the hope of the world. Amen? Jesus is what they need. And so we have a great opportunity to go in, to reach these people. They're wide open for the gospel. They're ready to receive, and they have received. And so uh, we just want to uh, do the best we can to double our efforts and, and continue to make more trips in, in the future. And uh, we'll just keep you uh, uh, updated with all those things that are going on. And again, thank you guys so much for... Uh, uh, your, your investment in the kingdom of God, your sacrifice, your gifts, I can promise you everything that you have given has made a difference in their lives. Amen? Let's give God a big hand clap. Well, if you have a Bible with you, I want you to turn to the book of Romans. I just figured I'd just take a moment here and, uh, and, and share with you and, and try to uh, drive home a point uh, of why it is in so important that we are involved in uh, helping to fulfill the Great Commission, involved in world missions, and, and, and why that is important, you know, and, and, and how that your involvement, because when, when you look at the scope of the need, when you say words like, you know, or make statements like 1.5 billion, you know, if one person dies, we call that a tragedy, right? You know, if thousands of people die, if millions of people die, we call that a statistic. You know, people are not statistics. Every life matters to God. And, and so, and we have a responsibility. You know, the Bible says that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to a place of repentance. If God wants everybody to be saved, then everybody has to be told, and so we have to do our part to go and, and, and share the gospel. So uh, I want to I talk to you just for, for a few minutes. You can go ahead and put that slide up uh, on the purpose and the necessity of, of, of missions. And in Romans chapter number 10, and let me just say this before I go any farther because I just about forgot. It's so good to have my mom back with us at church this morning. She, she surprised me for being here, and I've had a little bit of a, of a head cold and stuff. I didn't want to go take any germs in there on her, and uh, uh, so I haven't got a chance to see her since I've been back, but she's here with us today, and just a testimony of God's goodness, and we're so thankful for that as, as well. But Romans chapter number 10, we're going to start reading at verse number, number 8, and if you're there, say amen. It says, but what does it say? The word is near in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse 14. But how shall they call upon him whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? Let's pray. Father... 
we just rejoice in you and we just give you glory and praise and we just say it's an honor and a privilege to be in your house, to be your people, to serve with you on mission and to be a part of what you're doing here locally and globally and and, and God, we just we, we rejoice in you and today is a day that that we have uh, set aside to acknowledge what you were doing uh, through uh, this particular congregation and, and, and through others that have uh, been uh, generous and give and, and have went. And Father, we just thank you for all the souls that you've, uh, that you've uh, uh, allowed us to make an impact with. And I just pray that you just uh, seal in our hearts today words that that will mark us for what you have called us to do in the future. For, Lord, there's the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So speak to us today during our time together, and we'll give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Now, when you read the Bible, you, you find out that our God is a missionary God. You know, our God is a God that is on mission, who sent his son who was a missionary, And as you study throughout all of Scripture, in all 66 books of the Bible, there's one underlying theme that that, that is woven through all 66 books, and, and, and that is the story of redemption. Now, the same God that has saved you, the same God that has saved me, desires that all men would come to the knowledge of the truth. That there would be people, that there would be representation in heaven from every kindred, tribe, and tongue. God is a savior. He is a redeemer. He is, he is a missionary. Now, when, when you read the Bible, something that, that we have to understand is, is that the Bible is not about us. The Bible is about God, right? The Bible is not man's pursuit of God. The Bible is God's pursuit of man. It was God that left heaven and came to earth. It was God that came into our world. It was God that that invaded our culture. It was God that uh, learned our language. It was God that, that died for our sins. It was God that has provided for us salvation. Everything that has been done has been initiated by God. And, and, and he is a God that's on the move, and he's a God that is active. He's a God that is, that is working, and he's a God that has uh, asked us and called us to join him In that work, the same God that sent his son, he also sent the Holy Spirit, who also sent the church, and who also says to all of us today that as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And so for us to understand the the purpose and the necessity of missions, world missions, and again, I want to clarify that. Not only understanding that there's a purpose for it, God has purpose for it, that it is absolutely necessary for every believer to be actively involved and in participating in helping to take the gospel to those that do not know Jesus. Now, to understand that, the first thing we need to do, and this is going to be in your outline, first question that we need to ask ourselves is, What is God's motive for missions? What is God's motive for missions? I mean, what what is he motivated by? You know, that's important. Motives are important. And, And only God knows the heart. So when I'm asking about God's motivation, I'm asking, what is in the heart of God 
that, that motivates him to be on mission and being uh, the redeemer that he is. What is his motivation? What's the reasoning behind it? Well, what's the purpose behind it? What, what is the, the, the motivation behind why God is on mission? And I gave you the scripture here in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14. This is God's motivation, okay? Everything that God does, God does for his own glory. He does it for the glory of God. The reason missions exist is for the glory of God. Of God, And it says this, it says, For the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters fill the sea. That, that is why God does mission and why he is on mission. And that is God's motivation, that the whole earth will be filled with the glory of God. When God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, God did it. Not just to rescue them from oppression. Not just to rescue them from Pharaoh. Not just to rescue them from, from slavery. He did it for his own glory. God did. His motivation was that he would get glory. See, for 400 years, the children of Israel were in Egyptian bondage. They were in bondage for 400 years. And at this particular time, almost nobody knew who the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob was. Nobody knew. The only stories, they didn't have the, the Old Testament at that time. It had not been written. So all they had was stories that had been passed down from generation to generation to generation. And so there was very little known about who God was. This was the result of 400 years of, of, of captivity in Egypt. But after God destroyed Pharaoh, after God crushed Egypt, after God brought them out of Egypt, part of the Red Sea, and placed them on dry ground on the other side, taking them to the promised land, after God did all of those things, almost everybody knew who the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was. This is why the Bible says in Exodus chapter 14, verse 3, God speaking here, he says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart that he might pursue the children of Israel. Now, this is his motivation again. Again, it wasn't just to bring them out of bondage. It wasn't just to bring them out of Egypt. It wasn't just to deliver them from slavery. He said, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. He said, and they will, he will pursue the children of Israel, and I will get glory over him and all of his hosts. And all of Egypt would know who the Lord God is. That was his motivation. He brought him out. He brought them out because he wanted everybody to know who he was. He did this for his own glory. He wasn't doing it because he was just sympathetic and that he was compassionate. He is all of those things, but he is very, very, very jealous. For his own glory. Listen, it's very easy for us to do the things that we would say work for God, but not necessarily work for God for his glory. Sometimes we do the work of God hoping to get attention to ourselves. 
That's why we like titles and positions and platforms and microphones and we want attention. There's so much of that that's, that's involved and it's, it is rooted in the wrong motives of our heart. And that is why God has to allow us to stay where we're at until we grow to a place of maturity where that when he begins to do great and mighty and awesome things that we won't take the glory that he deserves and try to apply it to ourselves as if we are somebody great. We're not great. God is great. And so he did all of these things for his own glory. And as the children of Israel made their way to the promised land, after this happened, every king, every army, every nation that Israel came up against, they all said the same thing. We know what your God did to Pharaoh and what your God did to the armies of the Egyptians. And the Bible says that the whole land, that everyone feared the God of the Hebrews. Now, how did God get glory? Now, when you, when you look at all this stuff, he got glory out of the most oppressive, the most uh, suffering, the most angry. His people were not in a good position. It's remarkably similar to what's actually happening in South Sudan. You know, they're not at a place of war, but they are in a place of an extreme slavery. And so before that happened, almost nobody knew who God was. But after that happened, everybody knew who God was. So, so the purpose of missions, the reason he does what he does, the reason that, that the Great Commission is so great is because God is great. And he wants us to be a reflection of that and representation of that. And so that when something great is done, that we point them to the one who is great and awesome. Amen? So that, that's, God's, that's God's motivation. So, so what should be our motivation for missions? That's your second, second uh, question. What should be our motivation? Now, again, it's very easy for us to get the wrong motivation when it comes to serving God. Happens all the time. Again, most people, when they first get saved, you know, we, we have a lot of personal issues. We've dealt with rejection, or we, we've dealt with abandonment, or betrayal, or, or something that's happened, or, or, or maybe we have an orphan heart, or, or, or maybe we've not had anybody uh, uh, minister, pour into our life, that we've kind of been uh, alone, or whatever it may be. And, and as a result of that, we work and strive and, and do all the things that we do for the motivation not to bring glory to God, but to draw attention to ourselves. We, I was that way when I first got saved. I was that way when I was a youth pastor. You know, my work, I would say that everything that I did, I did because I love Jesus. I would say that. And in and, and my, my subconscious, I would, I would, you know, I would acknowledge that this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. But in reality... What happened in the midst of all the working that was going on, I was looking to try to get somebody to notice that, you know what, Donald has got the goods. You know why? Because I didn't feel like I had the goods. I didn't feel like that I had what it took to be successful. I didn't think, I didn't have Bible knowledge. You know, I, I didn't have a church background. I didn't know how to talk the Christian lingo. I didn't know the proper protocol. I actually wore ch uh, shorts to church one time. Can you believe that? 
Now, that doesn't sound like a big deal to you, but when, listen, when you go to a church where they don't allow shorts to be worn, all of a sudden it becomes a big deal. I remember walking in, first time it ever happened, I remember walking into church and... Uh, you know, it was in like the end of July, 1st of August or something. It was like 400 degrees outside. Not really, but pretty close to that. It felt like it to me. But we, we walked into the, into the sanctuary, and all of a sudden, all my buddies that were there were like, Oh, my gosh! I was like, What? They said, You've got shorts on in the sanctuary. I went, Are you kidding me? It's 450 degrees outside. What are you talking about? So, I mean, again, this, this was a totally different language. This was a completely different uh, 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 pro- a protocol that I was not used to following, you know. I'm a flip-flop and short kind of guy. I'd wear them every day if I could. I do as much as I can. But, but in, in that particular context, it just revealed to me just how out of place that I was or out of touch or whatever that may be. I'm not saying that that's right or wrong. I'm just saying that's where I came from. And, and so when, when you don't know how to relate or connect and, you know, you, you feel like that you're a loser in the first place, and just because you're saved doesn't mean you don't feel like a loser. And, and so I kind of felt that way. I, mean, I was just glad to be going to heaven and, and, and that, that was it. But, but there's something that was in me that needed to be corrected. And, and, and during this particular season, the result was God used those moments to really search my heart and what my motivation was as a result of, of putting me in a position. And I found out that, you know what, titles and positions don't make you who you are. You know, but for some reason, that, those are the kinds of things that, that validate us. But anyways, the, the greatest motivation... That we can possibly have, and I want to say this slowly because I don't want you to misunderstand. The greatest motivation that we can have for missions is not to be obedient to the Great Commission. As important as that is, that is not the greatest motivation for us to give, to pray, and to go. That's, that's not it. The greatest motivation for missions, now, now listen to this, this is probably going to sound like heresy to some of you guys, but the greatest motivation that, that, that we can have is not even our love for sinners that if they die in their sin will be separated from God and spend eternity in hell. Your love for people will never be the greatest motivation that will sustain you year after year after year after year after year and focused on doing what God has called you to do in the context of mission because the truth is our love for people is not strong enough to stand the test of time. Sometimes people you love get on your last nerve. Right? Sometimes people that are a part of your congregation do some very bad things that hurt you, that causes you to want to distance yourself and actually just uproot and go join another church family. Nothing, nothing is more mind-blowing to me than the true lack of commitment that we have to one another as a church family. We think that Sunday morning church service is our time together as family. And 
I'm good with being a part of that family until they do something that lets me down or disappoints me. Well, let me ask you a question. How many times have people let you down over your life? What? A couple of million? Well, maybe it's not the people's fault. Maybe it's your expectation of the people that's a problem. Preaching better than the amen in right there. I mean, if you've been disappointed a thousand times, then shame on you for getting disappointed. I mean, it's okay to get disappointed until it causes you to retreat and run away from people. And I'm, again, I'm not saying that you should stay in an abusive church where people are controlling and, or they're not preaching the Bible or they're not doing these. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, you know what? Life is messy and it hurts. And the truth is, if you're not getting hurt, you're not doing it right. Because you're going to get hurt over the process of time. So my point is this. Your love for people is not going to be your greatest motivation to do this. Your greatest motivation for being on mission with God is your love for God. Your love to bring glory to God is the greatest motivation that you could ever possess in order to to serve him in an acceptable way for the long term. Now, if we don't have this kind of, that's why Jesus said this. He said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He said, that's the first one. He said, the second one is like it, that you would love your neighbor as you love yourself, right? So the priority first is to love God. Now, If we don't love God the most, we will not love people well. And if we don't love people out of the overflow of our love for God, our love is going to be too weak to be able to withstand the tests that come in our relationships. Are you with me on that? So missions really is the direct result of the overflow that you have Concerning your love for God. If we don't love God the most, we're not going to love people well. What we're going to do is, is that we're going to say, oh, that's sad, and then we're going to go on and live our own lives, right? You know, it's like this. For example, you ever watch television, and while you're watching television, there's one of those uh, World Vision commercials, and you, you have this video or commercial of a starving child in Africa. The flies are on them, you know. They've got a little bit of food. They're on the verge of starvation. You turn it there, and what happens? It gets your attention, and it moves you emotionally, right? But how long do you leave it on that channel? A couple of seconds, And then you flip the channel. Now, why do you flip the channel? The reason you flip the channel is because you know if you watch that that commercial long enough, you're going to open up your billfold, or you're going to get your checkbook out, and you're going to write a check to go support a child, right? But the truth is we flip the channel because we don't want to be inconvenienced by somebody else's pain. Right? So therefore... You know, we have compassion or sympathy for people. But you know what? Compassion and sympathy is no substitute for obedience. So our love for people, it's not going to be strong enough to to fulfill the mission that God has called us to. Only our love for Jesus and our desire to see him receive the reward of his suffering will keep us 
involved for the long haul. Now, this is what God's called us to. This is what God has called all of us to. Not me and not Clay or Brian. All of us are to be involved with that. Now, let me, I put this statement up here. Go to the next one. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Okay? Why does our motivation uh, need to be? What does it need to be? For the glory of God, right? What's God's motivation for mission? The, The glory of God. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. Are you, are you with me on that? Are you, are you still trying to chew on that? My, my point is this. If, if you reverse that, then our motive is wrong. We think that our love is strong enough to sustain us over the long haul in order to truly make a difference in the world. But only our relationship with God and our love for God that will sustain us over the long haul in order to make a difference in our world. So the ultimate goal is not missions. The ultimate goal is worship because a day is going to come when missions will no longer exist. Only worship will be going on in heaven, right? Now go back to that next slide for me, Richard, if you don't care. Here's what the Bible says in Revelation chapter number 7. It says, After these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, people, and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with the white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice saying salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That is the ultimate. One day you will be a part of that group of people. Missions will no longer be something that we will participate in from now on. This will be the ultimate because God is ultimate. The ultimate goal for everything we do is to bring glory to God. Now let me ask you this. Is the way that you live your life right now bringing glory to God? Are your commitments bringing glory to God? Or what you spend your time doing every day, bringing glory to God. Is your level of passion and love for God bringing glory to God? God does not get glory from lukewarm, apathetic, indifferent, self-centered, self-focused people who call themselves Christians because they come to church on Sunday morning. That's rough, ain't it? But it's good for us to search our heart because the truth is all of us, including myself, can become just like that at any moment of any day. Very easy. So so examine your heart. Spend some time and say, God, is what I'm doing right now, is my commitment to you, my commitment to your word, My commitment to prayer, my commitment to worship, my commitment to serving, my commitment to the ministry, is is it bringing glory to you? Because what will happen is this, you get burnt out when you stop doing things for the glory of God. Remember when you first got saved, the sky was bluer, the grass was greener, 
everybody was beautiful. You smiled all the time. You were glad to be in the house of God. You were thankful just to be among the number of those that are on their way to heaven, that your name is written down in the Lamb's book of life. When you were asked to do something, it wasn't a chore, or you didn't have to make time because God was number one in your life, and, and, and you loved him so much that, you know what, nothing that he asked of you would ever be a sacrifice because, you know what, love can never be asked too much of because, you know what, love never fails. Remember when it was like that? What happened? What, what happened? That's what these people have in South Sudan. That, that, that's what these people who have nothing have. Because listen, when you've got Jesus, you've got everything. Do, do, you, do you believe that? When you've got Jesus, you've got everything. Unless Jesus is not enough. And I'm saying, I've been guilty of exactly what I told you about. I'm the hypocrite today. So don't think that I'm preaching on you. I'm preaching on me. But I don't want to stay that way. I don't want that to be where I camp out and settle. Because here's the thing. Something happens when somebody gets saved. Somebody gets saved. They get baptized. They join the church. It's rare for that same person to remain on fire five years from that day. What happens? What happens to us? Where, 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 where does it go? Where, where, where's that at? If that's you... Then ask yourself, God, what do I need to change to get that back? You know, there was a whole church in the book of Revelation, the church of Ephesus. That's exactly what Jesus said to them. He said, you think you're all right, but the truth is, you know what? You, you, you're Luke, you're, 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 you've lost your first love. You're, I got this against you. He goes, I know your works. I know your works. I know your works. I know what you're doing. I see what you're doing. And, and that stuff's good, but you know what? You, you, you've left your first love. That, that, that's easy for us to do if our motivation is, is, is not right. So what we see is that mission begins with worship, mission ends with worship, and it is the motivation for everything that we do. Now, go to this, that next slide. If our mission's efforts are weak, it's because our love and passion for God is weak. I don't know how else to water that down to make it palatable. If our love for the lost is weak, it's because our love for God is weak. If our love for the poor and the needing and the hurting and the suffering, if it is weak, it's because our love for God is it's weak, tough. That's, that's kind of what I'm processing here, so don't take this stuff as if I'm trying to browbeat you or anything. I'm just saying, I feel like that I'm just like everybody else, but I don't want to remain that way. I've cried too much this past little bit. It's been, it's been overwhelming. But missions is the overflow of our love for God because missions is the overflow of God's love for his name and God's love for people. Man, that's good right there. Because here's the thing, we can say how much we love God all we want, but your visible love for people is a reflection of your invisible love for God. 
So how well do you love God? You might be able to praise good. Might be singing the right songs. Might even be able to dance, hoop, holler, shout, scream. And, and you know, that stuff that has, a part, that has a place. But at the end of the day, do you love your neighbor? Or are you inconvenienced by them? In America, it's very easy to get self-indulged because we've got so much stuff, right? All right. I'm going to wrap this up. Here's the last thing. Listen really quick. So, here's a question. Is missions necessary? Is it necessary for me, for this church, and for you to be involved in missions? Does God have a part for you to play? How can you contribute to that? And, And in order to answer that, and this is in your outline, first question we've got to ask is this. Are people perishing forever? And what I mean by that is, is there literally a place called hell that people who die in their sin go to forever and forever? Is that, if you don't know the answer, the answer to that is, yes. So if people die separated from God... They really go to a place that Jesus preached three times more about than he did bragging on heaven. This is what Jesus said. He said that hell was a place of physical torment, mental torment, and eternal torment. The rich man lifted up his eyes. He said this, being tormented in the flames. It says that that hell was a place of weeping, wailing, and gnashing of teeth. In the book of Revelation, it said that, that, that people would gnaw their, or gnash their teeth. They would bite their tongues. They would, they would grind their teeth because of the rage of pain. So there's physical torment. Not only that, we know that hell involves mental torment. Remember the story of the rich man and Lazarus? You know, both of the men die. And the Bible says that the rich man lifted up his, his eyes in hell. And, 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 and this rich man says to Abraham, could you please send Lazarus to go get, uh, dip, dip the tip of his finger in some water that, that he may just take a drop of water and, and touch my tongue with it because I'm tormented in the flames? And this is what Abraham said to him. He said, remember, you will have the ability to remember Mentally, think about this. Every opportunity that you had to give your life to Jesus, every opportunity that you rejected Jesus, every time the Holy Spirit was bringing conviction in your life and you resisted, every time that that you justified continuing living the way that you live, you'll have the ability to remember. I I wonder sometimes what would be worse, the mental uh, or, or the physical. But the truth is, Regardless of either one, they're going to last forever. And then Jesus says it's a place of, of eternal torment. It says where, where that the fire is never quenched and the worm dieth not. So, if hell truly exists, 
And people who die without Christ go there. And those of us who know Jesus as Lord and Savior don't go tell them which is the worst of the two evils. I would say a faith that is not touching others is a faith that has never touched you. And again, you can check your motive on this. You know, a lot of people, they hate evangelism. They, 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 they like evangelism about as much as you know, a five-year-old likes taking a bath. And, and here's the reason why. The reason they hate evangelism so bad is because they're self-focused too much. Because we're afraid of what other people think, or we're afraid of, of failure, or, or we're afraid of, of making a mistake. Again, it goes back to our motive. Remember why, why we do missions? If we do it for ourselves, we're not going to do it. But if we do it for the glory of God, you realize, you know, when Jesus saved you, he set you free from yourself. Jesus made himself of no reputation. You with me? So, if, if hell actually exists, and people go there... If they die without Christ, then it's necessary, right? Here's, here's, here's the next thing. Then go ahead and come to music. Yeah, just leave it right there. This is talking about the eternal part. Revelation 14, 10. He shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone, and the smoke of their torment ascends forever and forever. Now look at this quote. Where the reality of hell is lost, the urgency of missions and the burden for people die. Where's your burden at when it comes to, 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 to lost people? You, you know where the rich man got his burden? He said, you know, send, send Lazarus, send somebody to go tell my brothers to keep them from coming to this awful place. This, this rich man all of a sudden got concerned about other people when the reality of hell became personal to him. That's important stuff. And I'm not saying that we need to be preaching fire and brimstone and condemning people and making them feel horrible. I'm just saying, if, 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 if heaven and hell exist, what we do on Sunday morning matters. What we do on Monday matters as well. Amen? Go to the next one. Here's the next question. Next question is, is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ necessary in order for sinners to be saved? Is that necessary? Did Jesus have to die, be buried, and raised from the dead? Is that, a, a, is, is that necessary for people to be saved? And the answer to that question is yes. But the real question I'm asking is, are there many ways to God? Or is there just one way to God? I mean, is there a Christian way to God? Is there a, a Buddhist way to God? Is there a Hindu Way to God? Is there a, 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 a Muslim way to God? Do all religions lead to God? Or is there just one way? There's a lot of people that believe that every, you know, that all religions lead to the same place. But for the for the believer, for the for, for the Christian, we have to go by what Jesus says, right? And so the answer is this. There's not 
a bunch of different ways to get to God. There's only one way. Jesus said, I am that way. Exclusive. That's why he said, narrow is the gate and straight is the way that leads to life. And few there be that find it. And then he says, but broad is the way. And wide is the gate that leads to destruction. And many, many, many shall go therein. I mean, it's a terrifying thing to consider. But you know what? You've got the answer. You, you know, and he lives inside of you. How could we withhold this from people? Here's what the Bible says here in 1 Timothy 2.5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man goes to the Father or comes to the Father except through me. He said, I am the door. I am the good shepherd. Anybody trying to come in from another route, he is a thief and a robber. So if the answer to that question is yes, that, 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 that Jesus is the only way, then you know what? You and I, we have to be involved in missions. Why? Because there's two billion that's never heard the name of Jesus ever before once. One man said, no man deserves to hear the name of Jesus twice till everybody's heard it once. I mean, that's an amazing thing. The last thing's this. Must people hear of the work of Christ in order to be saved? Or in other words, must a person hear the gospel and believe it in order to be saved? Do they have to hear it? Do they, have to, do they have to hear and they have to believe, right? Well, how then shall they call upon him whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in him on whom they've not heard? And how can they hear unless somebody, what, preach to them? And how can they preach unless they're what? That's why we do what we do. That, that's why you should do what, what you do. And it's not enough for them to hear about the work that was done. They specifically have to hear a name. So we don't just have to go. We have to proclaim the name of Jesus. You just can't go in the name of God because, you know what, to those people, you know what, God could be anybody. They might be one of these people that believe that, that, that there's many ways to God. We have to go because this is where the rubber meets the road. You can get on national television right now and talk about God all that you want and never ruffle any feathers. But if you get on national television and say that Jesus Christ is the only way to God, you're going to have some big problems. You're going to have some serious backlash. Then they're going to have it. But there's no other way. There is no. He is the only way. And so we have to go and we have to t tell them that Jesus is the only way. The Bible says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth 
that God raised Jesus from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and then confession is made unto salvation. Then it says these beautiful words. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. John wrote, he said, As many as believed in him gave he the power to become the sons of God, even those that believe on his name. Acts 4.12 says, There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. For God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of heaven and earth. You don't have anything to hang your head over. You don't have anything to be afraid of. You don't have anything to be ashamed of. Jesus said, if the world hates you, hated me, then they're going to hate you. He said, in this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. And you have this gospel. Now, how? What would you think of a doctor who has diagnosed their patient with a terminal disease? And yet, they had the cure, but never gave it to them. Would that be a good doctor or a bad doctor? You know what? People are dying every day. And at this point in time, the vast majority of them are dying without Jesus we have the cure may we not be so, so so cold and calloused not to give it not to share it stand with me if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior then I've tried to explain as clearly and concise as I possibly could. Of where you stand before God and what the solution to that is. Now I can't make you give your life to Jesus. I can't manipulate your way. Uh, to Jesus, there's nothing that I can do to actually even save you, but I can proclaim to you the name. And he said this, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He said, if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you of, our, of your sins. So if you're here this morning and you've never done that, or you need to do that, I want to encourage you, don't walk out of this building having not done that. Because you know what? Tomorrow's promised to no man. And eternity is forever. And for the rest of you that are here that are saved, how many of you would say that I want to live my life for the glory of God? 
my life to the glory of God. Now, if you evaluate the way you're living your life right now, let me ask you a question. Is it bringing glory to God? Is your life bringing glory to God? If it's not, then what do you need to change? If it's not, what do you need to cut out of your life? What does your commitment say about bringing glory to God? What does your relationship say about bringing glory to God? What does your, your, your spiritual condition say about bringing glory to God? What, what does your prayer life say about bringing glory to God? What does your, your uh, attitude say about bringing glory to God? What does your, 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 your servanthood say about bringing glory to God? As they sing and as they play, if, if you want your life to bring glory to God, I want to encourage you to get out of your seat and let's come and let's seek God and say, God, you know what? I'm ready to get whatever I need to get out of my life in order to bring glory to you. There was a time when I was, I loved you, that I, everything that I did for you was, was strictly out of love, but Lord, I've lost that. If, if you're not moving forward with God, then you are losing ground with God because there's no neutral with God. So I'm encouraging you, let's come, let's pray, let's seek the Lord and say, God, here we are. Change us. We want to live for your glory.